When you've ministered to Christian men in sexual sin for as long as we have, you start to get a pretty good idea of who you're dealing with and what they need. It seems to them often like it's a fairly guilt-free pleasure. So they find excuses to justify what they're doing and they lie to themselves. You know, they tell themselves they're going to stop at some point, but then they just keep pushing that further down the road and they never quite get to that time and place where they're committed to stopping. If you're a pastor or if you're discipling someone who is struggling with sexual sin or If you recently found out that someone you love is living a double life of hidden immorality, this episode is for you. A person spends most of his time in the role or image that he's presenting to others. So he believes that because that's where I mostly spend my time, that's who I really am. You know, that happily married man, the faithful employee or whatever is part of that image he's presenting. But in reality, it's who he is when no one is watching. That's who he really is. Thanks for joining us on Purity for Life. Coming up, A Leader's Guide to the Sexual Addict, Part 1. Here we go. All right, so for those of you who are listening, what we're trying to do in this episode is give pastors a kind of a broad understanding of what a typical Christian sex addict is like. Uh, I use that term in the sense of they are professing to be Christian, but they are addicted to sexual sin. And so as we give pastors an understanding of what your typical Christian sexual addict is like, you know, we can't really say, here you go, here's the typical person. We can just paint broad brushstrokes that will give people a sense of the key features of a person who's in sexual sin. The first thing I want to do is play an excerpt from a sermon that Pastor Steve Gallagher gave about a year ago about this subject. When I entered the ministry in 1986, I could have never guessed that my life's calling would be to minister to men in habitual sexual sin. Sexual addiction was a concept almost unheard of in those days. All these years later, I can honestly say that it's been my privilege to devote my life to helping these men. Having since encountered thousands of men bound up in sexual sin... I have gotten a fairly good sense about what the typical sexual addict is like. I'll attempt to draw a composite picture of him. The average man you will encounter in your work has been faithfully attending church services for many years. He also reads inspirational books, listens to Christian radio, and possibly attends special men's events. Unfortunately, the fact that he has been involved in so much religious activity has very possibly hurt him more than it has helped. Sitting in church on Sunday and viewing the filthy images of pornography during the week only tends to harden a man's heart and deepen his spiritual delusion. Sin always deceives. The more wickedness a person is involved in, the blinder he will become to his true spiritual condition. Because he senses God's presence in meetings, it's easy for him to imagine that he's truly walking closely with the Lord. This is compounded by the spiritual reality that the Lord is not quick to judge sin. 
So Pastor Ed, um, you've been in various counseling settings for a total of about 20 years. Yeah, that's right. Um, so you've definitely seen a lot and you've encountered a lot of men. So I know that this has also been your experience when you deal with people. Mm-hmm. Um, if I kind of summarize this first characteristic, it's basically that your typical sexual addict has a belief about his spiritual condition that is not true. Right. And I'd like for you to explain maybe why, like, when you think about this key feature of a Christian sexual addict, why do you find this to be so common? Yeah, Nate, I mean, it really is true that virtually every professing Christian that is addicted to sexual sin has this belief about his spiritual condition that that just simply isn't true. There are several reasons for this, uh, probably quite a few really, but I'll give you a, a few here. First of all, I would say a lot of it has to do with the things that people tell him. Uh, Like Pastor Steve just mentioned in that clip, he's engaged in a lot of religious activity because he's trying to make up for his lack of true godliness. He's probably doing more than the average churchgoer even. So to others, it looks like he's really on fire, really pursuing a relationship with God. You know, people believe the image he's putting out there and, and that tends to lead them to express admiration for him. You know, just little offhand comments like, wow, that was a really helpful insight in the Bible study that you gave or, you know, something like that. They'll just throw things at him that that puff him up a little bit more. And they're being sincere, but also very gullible. They're just sort of taking him at face value and not really looking for anything beyond that. And then because he's been so successful at convincing others that he's doing well in his walk with the Lord, he starts to really believe that it must be true. And if he even does express any doubts, you know, it's just all too common that people, even pastors here, are very quick to give him reassurance that, no, brother, you're saved. You know, you just need to whatever, you know, need to uh, just not worry about it. Just let God's grace, let God's love cover that multitude of sin and, you know, move on sort of uh, very uh, – surface level comments about things. And so he's given this artificial reassurance that he's doing well spiritually. And then, you know, another reason that he overestimates his spiritual condition is his ability to compartmentalize. Uh, Men in general probably do this a lot, but it's like this guy can take all of his illicit sexual activities and fit it in this lockbox in his mind (laughs) and he can completely separate himself uh, from his sin when he's not actively engaged in it. And he's convinced that his sin is just a little problem. It fits in this box in his mind kind of thing, you know. And he even has ways of justifying it or minimizing it. So as long as sexual sin seems like a small issue to him, Nate, he's able to elevate his perceived relationship with the Lord to a much higher level than it really warrants. And a third reason we could probably consider is that he has a very shallow idea of what a true relationship with the Lord should even look like. You know, in general, if we're just honest, I think from my perspective and a number of years and visiting literally hundreds, uh, if not thousands of churches for different reasons, in general, the American church treats Christianity very academically. Um, In the American church, what you mostly see is a shallow relationship between someone and the Lord. Like Pastor Steve mentioned in that clip, it's common for people to read books, listen to Christian radio or podcasts even, uh, probably even attend spiritual events a couple times a year. 
For the most part, Nate, people give God time, maybe even money, (laughs) but they aren't giving him their heart. And a healthy relationship with the Lord is really better assessed by how deep it goes. It's not that surface level activity. You know, it's never going to be enough to just read books and go to men's events. It's, It's not just knowing about God and reciting his attributes or memorizing a bunch of scripture, uh, being able even to string together a handful of emotional experiences. You know, that's what most people know of a relationship with the Lord, those things that I just mentioned. But really, a relationship with the Lord is all about being a diligent disciple, a devoted follower, a pursuer of Jesus, like learning the heart of Jesus, learning what Jesus would do. Uh, If I can borrow a phrase from John the Baptist, you know, I am literally decreasing and Jesus is increasing, you know. And the picture that scripture often uses here is marriage. You know, it's a heart-to-heart relationship and intimacy, a love affair, if you will. And it's always, growing and deepening. So, you know, kind of sadly, I guess, Nate, it seems to me that most people just aren't being stirred up to pursue that kind of relationship with the Lord. The vast majority just settle for, for that shallow academic knowledge. And so the typical sex addict thinks he's got as much of a relationship as most anyone else he knows. And, and actually, he probably does. <laughs> So it's interesting that you asked me about this because, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about this very issue with the men in our residential program because we we were talking about how deceived someone can be about their true spiritual condition. And it's easy to be deceived because a person spends most of his time in the role or image that he's presenting to others, you know, maybe only several hours a week in his sexual sin pursuits. But much of his time, he's in this role, even though it's kind of a facade, it's fake, that's where he spends the bulk of his time. So he believes that because that's where I mostly spend my time, that's who I really am. You know, that happily married man, the faithful employee or whatever whatever is part of that image he's presenting. But in reality, it's who he is when no one is watching. That's who he really is. Yeah, it's interesting that you were talking about how pastors are very quick to reassure and encourage because I, you know, I do think that that tends to be the strength of a pastor. They want to believe the best. They want mm-hmm. to see their congregations thrive and the people in them really do well spiritually. But then, you know, on the other side, it's like there can be that gullibility, I think. Like pastors can often be totally blindsided when sexual sin comes out in a person's life, like, I had no idea, or I never would have guessed that this guy was in sexual sin. No, and right. yet, the statistics are that, you know, 79% of 18 to 30-year-old Christian men are viewing porn monthly, and 37% are viewing it once a week, or several times a week. So, why is it that sexual sin is so hidden? Yeah, you know, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that it's so easy for someone to hide their actual porn use or or their other activities. You know, if a person is addicted to drugs or alcohol, that's going to show up typically. You know, his his ability to function is impaired (laughs) by those substances and it just makes it a lot harder for him to hide all of that. But sexual sin generally doesn't impair someone's ability to function and there aren't a plethora of obvious, you know, indicators, warnings 
signs, that sort of thing. And even beyond that, you know, honestly, it's not just because it's so easy to access online porn and then hide your tracks. It's got a lot to do, I think, Nate, with our busy lifestyles. Like the fact that in many jobs, a person is like always on duty, uh, that kind of busyness and always having a handy job-related excuse for how you spent your time, uh, that sort of thing allows people to hide even adulterous affairs or visits to massage parlors, strip clubs, that you know, all that kind of thing as well. So even within marriage, men these days just aren't nearly as accountable for either their time or their money as mm. they used to be. And so on top of all of that, it's even easy to establish alternate personas online. Uh, so all of that sort of stuff gives people a lot of freedom to pursue illicit sexual pleasure outside you know, the boundaries of that image they're presenting to others. So of course, people are surprised when they hear about someone bound up in sexual sin. It's, it's not just pastors, it's even close family members, yeah. you know, sometimes even their spouse. Yeah. Um... I really appreciate that, and I hope that pastors can definitely hear that and understand that that is why they're so often blindsided, and that this isn't an uncommon thing to be blindsided. Like you said, even a wife mm-hmm. or a close friend, these people are often also blindsided. How could I not have right. known this about yeah. this person? <laughs> you know, I think another thing that maybe pastors struggle with. I can feel this in my own life in the sense of wanting to believe the best about people is um, it's hard to come to grips not only with the fact that this person has been doing this, but also with the kind of person that that implicates him Mm -hmm. as being, you know, right? and the things he's done to people, like the the wreckage that he's left behind. It's like, how could he have done this to people? Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit about what the Bible teaches about the real roots of sexual sin or the kind of things that are happening inside a person that are in sexual sin? Uh, sure. And, they, you know, we should probably, uh, I'm probably already have actually done a, a whole podcast on this topic because it's it's pretty involved. And But let me just try and offer a, maybe a brief overview of the roots of sexual sin. So, uh, you know, Nate, let's picture a tree for a moment, like like a nice lush tree full of ripe fruit. And when we look at the tree, you know, most people tend to focus on the fruit, you know, just driving past an orchard, you're looking at all the apples hanging mm-hmm. off the trees, you know. But we know that the tree has a system of roots that although they're completely hidden under the ground even, uh, they're essential to the life of that tree. And of course, the larger the tree is, uh, the larger the network of roots that are required to sustain it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a pretty good picture really of sexual sin in a person's life. But sexual sin is just the fruit on the tree. Uh, most pastors and, and counselors even, you know, they get caught up pretty quickly in trying to deal with the fruit, the end product of someone's illicit sexual activity, uh, trying to go right at that thing itself. Uh, but that's not really going to accomplish all that much, honestly, if the root system is bad here. Right. And Nate, I, I can promise you this. If we dig around underground and examine the roots of any man in habitual sexual sin, you will consistently find two characteristics, pride and selfishness. So, you know, let me just remind us of what Mark 7, 21, 22 says, uh, where Jesus says for, uh, you know, it's from within, out of the heart 
of men, out of the heart. That's the key phrase here uh, of men that proceed evil thoughts or, you know, you could think in terms of sexual fantasies there if we want to, you know, Mm -hmm. make this specific to sexual sin. And he even names adulteries, fornications. He's got some other things on the list, includes lewdness. So so there's several specific sexual sins uh, that are mentioned here. And Jesus is saying they all come out of the heart. All of it flows out of a corrupt heart. So pride and selfishness are those heart issues that are – they're the root issues that absolutely have to be addressed if a pastor wants to help someone else come into victory over his sexual sin. So I guess, Nate, let's talk about selfishness maybe for a minute. Uh, In Luke 9.23, familiar passage to most of us, I'm sure, if anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, right? That's the life Jesus is calling every one of us into. You You might call it the cross life. But the opposite of this cross life that Jesus has called us into is a self life. And the self life is just what it sounds like, living for self, pursuing what I want, living by my feelings, living for pleasure, you know, having a me first attitude mm-hmm. toward everything and everyone. Um, you know, the, the self life, Nate, is really a fertile environment for that pride that is also part of that root system. And I don't just mean when I use the word pride, that haughty spirit or self-exalting kind of pride that most of us probably think of. You know, I, I used to always think in terms of, right. you know, the guy spiking the football in the end zone, you know, and doing his little dance. You know, he's just like this graphic display of pride and, you know, almost sickening sometimes. But but pride goes in a lot of other directions that most of us just aren't wired or, or trained to recognize. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, there's uh, self-protective pride where – Someone sees others as a threat to put them down or belittle them, uh, make him look bad. So, so his response to that is he remains aloof, never opens up to people, keeps everyone at arm's length. You know, that's a form of pride that's going on there. Uh, another huge one is spiritual pride. Uh, it can be you know, just that ugly holier-than-thou attitude that some people have, you know. But it could also be just a more subtle self-righteousness that arises out of this false piety that they walk around in, maintaining a, a facade of holiness when it comes to outward appearances. But, you, you know, the, the reality is that they're letting a lot of unchristlike attitudes go unchecked inwardly, mm-hmm. you know, just having a critical spirit, for example, that sort of thing. So that's all – associated with a a spiritual pride that is very common in sex addicts. You know, there's know-it-all pride. You know, this person who's just what scripture would say he's a man who's wise in his own eyes, Mm. you know, thinks he knows best, values his opinions much higher than everyone else's, has nothing to learn from others, that sort of pride. Another one I'll just throw in the mix is unapproachable pride. We, We sometimes call it around here where someone just has managed to put like a a shell of barbed wire on themselves or something, you know, Mm. something that pushes everyone automatically away. They, They won't let anyone get close enough to them to offer any kind of correction or insights or whatever. And if you do, you're going (laughs) to Yeah, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. You're going to get jabbed. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, those are some of the common heart issues that really have to be dealt with, you know, in setting men free from sexual sin. Yeah. And and I think about my own life. I can see how pride, selfishness, and delusion all were fostered very deeply in my own life. And I almost want to say it this way, that it was never my intention Mm -hmm. to hurt people. Right. 
And I think that maybe is another key thing that pastors should realize that guys with sexual addiction, they're, they're not intending to just destroy their wives, destroy their children, mm-hmm. but there is a very ugly, self-centered, prideful love for what they want that makes them willing mm-hmm. to do these things, and that has to be addressed, you know? And if we speak to people as if they're a victim of their sin, it really lets them off the hook and they never really have to face the ugly selfishness and pride that's in their lives. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, the other thing that is just so interesting to me is that I think I can say that most of the guys who are in our residential program right now, they knew that what they were doing was wrong. Yes. I, right? <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. None of them are saying, well, this isn't a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's not wrong. Um, so I would guess that they're probably a fair representation of just your average churchgoer. So they know it's wrong. They know it's a sin. And yet, most of them have no real serious desire to deal with it until it starts costing them something. Why is that? Yeah. Yeah, there's probably, you know, a few reasons for that, but but I'd say the two primary reasons are pleasure and shame. Hmm. So if you look at, you know, the pleasure side, I think is pretty obvious. Uh, sexual sin is pleasurable. It feels good. It produces chemical activity in our brains and responses in our bodies that we just immensely enjoy, you know. And it can often seem like someone's sexual sin really isn't hurting anyone else. It, it seems to them often like it's like it's a fairly guilt-free pleasure, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so they find excuses to justify what they're doing and they lie to themselves. It, you know, they tell themselves they're going to stop at some point, but then they just keep pushing that further down the road and they never quite get to that time and place where they're committed to stopping. And the truth is, Nate, that they're captives to the pleasure aspect and it's going to take help from others outside themselves to set them free almost certainly. Mm. But they seldom reach out for that help until those negative consequences start to overwhelm the pleasure side of their sin, right? And so, you know, a second big reason for people not dealing with their sexual sin until they're forced to, uh, like I said, is shame. And like we talked about earlier, they typically really have invested themselves in building an image that they are presenting to other people. You know, a good son, a faithful husband, an excellent father, a hard worker, good provider. You know, in, in essence, he's created this image that he's a godly man or at least a reasonably godly man. But getting help to deal with sexual sin <laughs> means that all these secret activities he's been involved with, all of that's going to come to light, uh, at mm-hmm. least with certain people, uh, his pastor, close friends, parents, siblings, wife, children, you know, all those people are going to know at least to some extent what mm-hmm. he's been up to. And that godly facade is going to get destroyed by the truth of his sin. Yeah. And 
that makes him feel, you know, just the thought of it is, is like I'm naked and exposed, you know, and I can't handle that. I, yep. I you know, no one's going to volunteer for that <laughs> really. Uh, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, the natural result is shame and it's so shameful for him personally. And to some degree, he may be aware that it's also going to shame his whole family or others around him. Uh, so there's a lot of fear then that creeps into all of that. So then, like I said, we just have a natural aversion to that kind of experience. Nobody wants to do that. So it seems better to just work harder to prop up that image that he's been trying to maintain mm -hmm. rather than just let everything collapse. So coming into the light seems far too costly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Nate, it's actually very common though that despite his efforts to keep things hidden, eventually something is likely to happen that does expose him. And it's only when he gets exposed against his will that he's really becomes willing to receive the help that he's needed all along. Mm. It doesn't have to be that way, but it certainly is very common that it works out that way. Over the last 14 years, I've listened to hundreds of men stand up at their graduation and talk about what they were like before they came to Pure Life Ministries. And so much of what they say is along the lines of just what we've been talking about in this show. They grew up in church. They knew how to play the part. They thought they were walking with the Lord despite the fact that their lives were completely in bondage to this sin. But God. But God. Here's Chet's story. I was raised in a conservative Christian home by parents who taught us the Word of God in prayer. I heard sound biblical preaching and teaching at church every week and attended the private Christian school there. Around the age of eight, a neighbor boy about my age introduced me to oral sex. This and other events awoke strange new thoughts and ideas in my mind which consumed me and eventually led to self-gratification. I was converted and baptized when I was 15 years old and found new joy in the Lord and a level of victory for a year or two. Difficulties arose when I was 17 and by the age of 18 I was diving deep into the very dark world of pornography even though I was involved in many Christian ministries at the same time. I tried several programs from home to overcome sexual sin, but it was obvious that my heart had not changed. Finally, my pastors referred me to a biblical counseling center in 2019. After desperately trying to manipulate them for about a year, I finally gave in to their recommendation and my pastor's agreement that I needed to enter the Pure Life Ministries residential program. The Lord brought me to the PLM campus on January 25, 2021 through His merciful provision and guidance. I was full of prideful, arrogant self-confidence and was determined to convince everyone that I didn't need to be here since I had not given over to sexual sin for about five months previously. For the first five months, things at PLM seemed to go really well. I discovered that I had not understood real repentance at all. Through mercy studies and the Living in Victory book, God taught me that His will is mercy, what mercy really is, and how to do and pray mercy for others. The Lord orchestrated all the Bible studies, homework, and chapel services 
to show me many areas where I needed to repent of selfishness and pride. He used visits to show me areas where I needed to walk in biblical manhood as a husband and father to my wife and children and to repent of the idols I had made of them. I was shown that I was like the Laodicean church in Revelation 3, the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray and one who would possibly come to the judgment declaring what good I had done in the Lord's name but be told that he never knew me. I spent hours on the prayer trails crying out to God to help me to see rightly. One day, alone in the chapel, I was suddenly undone as I saw how I had manipulated my counselors, my wife, my parents, my in-laws, my pastors, and others all my life. The Lord showed me that I was not a nice guy, but a helpless wretch who needed to walk in daily repentance and accept Christ's perfection and righteousness on my behalf. I praise and thank the Lord for his merciful long-suffering and salvation. Thanks to my loving wife, Rhoda, for never giving up on me or our marriage. Thanks to our extended families for their help and to our pastors and church family for their support and encouragement. I am thankful that the Spirit of the Lord is at work in PLM and the direction of my life has been changed. All right, that's part one of A Leader's Guide to the Sexual Addict. Next week, we'll finish up this discussion with Pastor Ed Book. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.